0: Welcome to another session with the Market Dominance Guys, a program exploring all the high-stakes speed bumps and off-ramps of driving to the top of your market, with our host Chris Beal from Connect and Sell and Corey Frank from Branch Forty Nine. Whether you're new to sales or a seasoned cold caller, you no doubt have a go-to way of starting a phone conversation with a prospect. Excellent, but how's that working for you? Ed Porter, the fractional chief revenue officer of Blue Chip CRO and our Market Dominance Guys guest talks today about scripts, pattern interrupts, and the art of conversation with our host, Chris Beal and Corey Frank. As Chris points out, that first conversation is an ambush call and nobody likes to be ambushed, especially by an invisible stranger. Ed totally agrees and adds that fear prevents us from picking up the phone. Which is true, whether you're the salesperson or the prospect. So what can generally get both the caller and the prospect past that fear? A well-constructed, cold-calling script, but not necessarily one that a salesperson makes up on their own. Ed says it's got to be architect from a sound plan that includes expertise and advice from both the marketing and customer success teams which is why we've titled today's Market Dominance Guys episode, The Architecture of a First Conversation.
1: So Ed, this is the Market Dominance Guys, and we talk about all things sales and marketing and how to dominate your market. And we believe certainly both of our organizations, Branch 49 and Uh, connect and sell, and certainly I think you believe the same thing, that conversation first strategy has to be at the core of what you're doing to dominate your market. So when you coach your clients and talk to your groups, your teams that you invest in about go-to-market, what are some of your thoughts on conversation first and how you do it well and how they're doing it today? And I'm sure you've seen your share of poorly designed scripts in the world, and you probably... Heard your share of cringeworthy cold calls that they're still hanging on from, you can't pry from their cold dead fingers because every once in a while it does work. But just overall, your thoughts on cold calling today?
2: Again, something I love talking about and something that I think one of the reasons why Chris and I always have familiar ground to speak from is the architecting a first conversation is in practice very simple but conceptually very, very difficult. You don't have a whole lot of time on a first conversation. I think in most of the markets that we're in, and I do want to talk a little bit about PLG because there, I think there's a big overlap that is being missed right now with PLG. PLG doesn't mean if you build it, they will come. Again, we kind of use that same thing. There's still an intervention of a human being in a conversation that needs to happen to move the needle along. So I will always firmly believe in, and I'll say in most B2B, I think there are some very highly transactional products that can very well, if you architect the messaging and the cadence properly, it can work, but purely, purely transactional, lower value. But beyond that, taking all of those butts aside is architecting the conversation. And the conversation is starting point and not the end point. A lot of times, I think I was on a, Podcast a few years back, talking about this, this word vomit is salespeople because you know you're talking this eighty-eight point seven two three percent of you're losing against status quo. Not to mention the other percentage points you're losing to literally other competitors. You know your win rates are very small, but you start looking further back into the funnel and say your connection rates are very small. So when you do get a connection, you get excited and everything in your brain says, I got like two minutes to tell Chris everything or else I lose him. So like we get into this tangent of, oh, you picked up the phone? What do I say? And then second is now that we're having a conversation, Where do I go? And I just need to get all of this stuff off of me because it's either in my playbook or I need to pre-qualify before something. And I'm driven by other things other than what really the buyer's saying. Except I'm really excited that I'm talking to them. So that whole emotional battle is really important. So having a training to default to to be able to understand how you're going to carry a conversation from stranger to some familiarity with me and then some familiarity with me to somehow getting more time on a calendar or a next step going, it's, it's simple in practice, or at least in time, it's probably a minute and a half, maybe two minutes at most. But when you start thinking about all of the angles it can go, how do you get somebody, when somebody picks up the phone, what are the chances that they're actually listening to you and not like looking at an email on their screen and just kind of half listening So how do you get their attention? And we talk a lot about pattern interrupts. You talk a lot about how do you not be the same old, same old. So when it comes down to scripting, I'll say I'm a huge fan of scripts. And I think there's a difference between word-for-word scripts throughout every single conversation and word-for-word scripts to try and build your next step. And there's a big difference to that. I don't think you can script out a whole sales process. I just don't think it's there. But you can script out certain things to say precisely to get a conversation open or to close for a next step. There are some things that can be scripted out. The very least for everything else is that it's all a plan. So I, I do go into these to any engagement. Once I get past the whole customer success marketing thing and we actually start diving into sales, then we start saying, is it a true cold call where they have no idea or are you calling from a lead? And if the lead what's happened, so we got to start scripting it at that point. But if we're going to pick up the phone and we're going to try and get somebody on the phone and they're not expecting our call, I don't care if they asked us to contact us and maybe it's five minutes, maybe it's 15 minutes, whatever that gap in time is, they're still not expecting our call. When we call, we have to understand that. And again, this is something Chris talked about in our meeting. Jeez, Chris, I think this was five years ago, maybe six years ago. It's this realization of when you're calling someone, you're the problem. So you have to de-arm them a little bit to try and say, how do you lower that defense mechanism to try and at least get to the next step? You got like seven or eight seconds before somebody makes a decision to click or to keep listening or to, or to inject and say something else. So when you start thinking about this, you have to build your, your chess game in these seven or eight second increments. And then how do you ask the question? How do you... Listen for that. And then how do you pivot? And if you get a chatty Kathy on the line, great. Keep having conversations, but also know you got to be real clear about that next step. You got to be clear to close. And that's where these conversations, I I think the art of conversation, maybe this is the book you got to write, Chris, is the art of conversation. And Parallel that to the art of war, and (laughs) and make this the real understanding of thinking about when people talk to each other and have a conversation. What's the information exchange look like? How do you ask and tell? Ask and tell. And how do you walk up to a stranger? You just got done eating dinner at the Short North, and you're walking up the street, and you're going up to somebody and saying, "I, "I like what you're drinking." How do I get that? That's still you have to architect that conversation. And, and it's tough. And we can talk about fear all day long too. And that prevents us from doing a lot of things. It prevents us from picking up the phone. It prevents us, it rationalizes so that we can find other reasons not to pick up the phone. And it also prevents us from moving on to the next step. So there's my word vomit on that topic because I absolutely love talking about it. There are plenty of people who say, oh, I never pick up a cold call. Great. I'm not going to convince you otherwise, but I'm going to say there are plenty of other people not like you, and I'm not just selling to you. So, why wouldn't I want to make sure that I'm everything to everybody where I can be? So, I don't believe that's a reason not to do something. So, this is something that involves a lot of thought, a lot of psychology, and the ones who architect it right or properly are seeing huge gains in better connection rates, better conversation rates, better conversation. To, to meeting rates. And you see that whole top end of that funnel really get optimized. Now it's up to the salespeople. You really got to know your stuff now because I'm teeing you up a lot of good leads. Don't fumble them. That's my thought and alignment on code calling on scripting on messaging and really understanding the architecture of a first conversation. I love
3: it. It ties into what you were talking about earlier in a, in a subtle way that I think people often miss, which is You had mentioned before we got on here that customer success and the alignment between customer success and marketing is key. And that's where you want to start because you're hearing truly the voice of the customer, not at random, but about the problem they're trying to solve and about how your offering helps them. And you can actually just start there. You can ignore all of the customer complaints. You can actually say the voice of the customer only consists of the good stuff. Bruce Lee Walt said this to me the other day. I said, some of our agents get a much higher transfer rate than others. He said, send me the recordings of two of them that are the best. I said, what about the worst? He said, you don't learn anything from that. And I thought that was a really good point. You don't actually learn anything from the worst because there are millions of ways to fail. And there are millions of points in time when you can fail. And if you multiply millions times millions, you get really, 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 really really big numbers. And so what you want to know is not Where are all the places that you can fish out there in Puget Sound on this particular bait and not catch any fish? You want to know, is there a spot out there in in the Strait of Juan de Fuca where it gets a little bit shallow and there's sand and you can put a sand dab down there and catch yourself a big ass halibut? That's what you want to know. And by the way, you want the guy to bring the halibut, the lady to bring the halibut over to your house because... Well, I can tell you from experience, it's great when they do. So that starting with the successful experience of the product and then narrowing the focus down in the marketing communication side to, OK, let's talk about how people are finding it suc- something that helps them today the math is really interesting, right? My Tesla could do a million things, whatever the million things are it could be a doorstop, I could hide behind it while people over here are having their Friday night shootouts, whatever it happens to be. But there's something that I am finding is the good bit about my Tesla, I don't have a Tesla that way, I always have to say this, I use it, I don't have one, I use it as an analogy, Janti has one, Hitesh has one, I don't have a Tesla, okay, everybody, I wish I had a Tesla. But the CEO gig, it just actually doesn't pay that much. And this portion of the market dominance, guys, is brought to you by Tesla. Go ahead, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> Elon must personally ask me to put this stuff on. But if we talk to somebody about it, we talk to 10 folks about their Tesla, what do you love about it? We're going to find a convergence that occurs mathematically among the things they love. Some things we mentioned a lot of times, some few. If we make our marketing communication do nothing, no creativity, just say, let's take the number one thing that people love And let's go talk about that. Well, who's going to do the talking? Aha, salespeople. In what context? Well, you can't have a second conversation before you have a first one. So let's start with the big problem, the first conversation. Okay, now, within the psychological constraints of the first conversation, which is of the form of an ambush of one human being by another who is scared of them. So nobody answers the phone going, I sure hope it's Ed. Uh, unless they see that it's at,
2: otherwise, or I can't wait for
3: a code call. I, can't, I, I sure, yeah. I was, I was busy right now. But I was about to go into this meeting, and you know. <laughs> so when they answer, there we know their psychological state. So now, what you've done is you've stitched together the two ends of the market perfectly.
0: We'll be back in a moment after a quick break Modern and Innovative Sales Toolbox offers a guiding hand to ambitious organizations in their quest to reach market dominance. Learn more at branch49.com. And we're back.
3: One end is constrained by value already being received, codified into what, are they like the, what do most of them say they like? Not like the most, but what do most of them say they like? What a second, because markets are numerical beasts in that sense. So we're not gonna seek the one thing. Oh, I love my Tesla because every once in a while it has some weird glitch and it does some strange thing. I think it's really pretty. I love that most, who cares, right? Nobody else mentioned it, get rid of that crap. And then the other end where the constraint is psychological. So you have a numerical constraint on one side, which is who mentions something the most that they like. You have a psychological constraint on the other side, which is the ambush somebody, and you are now the problem. And if you can make those work together, you will always dominate the market for that thing that is mentioned the most, which happens to be tied to a thing that you're selling called your product. That formula is powerful, and you are bringing that formula in a practical way as... Mm -hmm. You call it a fractional CRO, but it's actually a revenue system designer starting from the two, in my opinion, your business is starting from the two big constraints. One of them is a numerical constraint, and one of them is a psychological constraint. And you are causing those to come together in a place that, that you know, 100 monkeys given scalpels in the room are not going to accidentally discover heart surgery, right? They're just it's going to be a bloody mess. So you're going to come in and go, no, 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 no. First, we got to push the, put the patient to sleep so they don't move quite so much. <laughs> then, that, by the way, did you know their heart's in this part of their body? Now, here's what we're going to do, right? You're going to start there. You're going to calm it down and start way over here on the customer's side. But I don't know anybody else who ties it all the way back to the true hard, you cannot escape it. I don't care how much you want to psychological constraint of the ambush that is required to have a first conversation. And I think that's fascinating. Does that resonate with you? Or am I just saying that Columbus is a great place?
2: (laughs) (laughs) No, it definitely does. And I think that's going on a lot of these analogies really show everybody who's done it knows that selling is hard. And it's hard because sometimes we make it harder on ourselves sometimes the company makes it harder on us sometimes the customers prospects whatever it's hard it's a numbers game like you said and and part psychological so the 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 part that really resonates here is when you start thinking through this. And a lot of it just starts with thought and brainstorming and starting to understand why people do things that they do. So this now you're morphing into the psychological part. And the ones who understand it, there's a lot of psychology in marketing, or there's a lot of psychology in sales too. There's a ton of psychology in, in customer support. Now, whether or not you actually do anything with that is a second debate. But there's psychology in talking to humans, and that's exactly what is here. There, and when you start getting into this form of figuring out emotions and defense mechanisms, and how do you break through it? Are we just going to accept it and just accept that every hundred calls we make, we're only going to talk to maybe a half a person? Uh, And are we just going to accept it and just now it's a numbers game? And we. We do a math formula and say we need 100 salespeople to go generate $2 million a year. So you start figuring out that to say it's either accepted or we're going to improve. And if others are doing it, now you've got, well, how are you able to do it? Now we get down this path of, oh, you're you're not manually picking up a handset and dialing nine, one, blah, 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 blah. Oh, you're using this clickable app. And so now that's a step towards making a little bit more efficiency. And now we've got the technology again, Corey, to this point of we've got this technology that allows us to go faster. But if I got this technology that allows me to go faster and have 10, eight to 10 conversations in an hour, if I don't know what the heck I'm going to say, then all I'm doing is accelerating suck. So all I'm doing sure. is having eight to 10 conversations an hour <clears throat> with people who I'm I'm offending, upsetting, and, and I'm not coming from the point of I'm um, being the problem. And how do I have a good, successful conversation? And how do I really invest in the follow-up? That's where the money is, right? It's, it's all in the follow-up. So that's this whole architecting of a conversation to say, technology doesn't matter how fast you can go. If you're not saying the right things that are resonating with the people that you're talking to, then all you're doing is just whether it's a marketing spend or whether it's a sales spend, either way, it's got money out the window.
1: Yep, Amplify Suck. Chris has saved me several times, not soon enough, I must tell you in the audience here, but several times I have had a large inside sales organization. I say, Chris, let's just ramp it up. Let's everybody, you know, like the scene from The Professional, bring everyone, bring everyone to the forefront of connect and sell, all 150 of them. And Chris is like, well, I'm not sure you stay out of this. You have the technology, everyone. (laughs) Well, let's just say about five figures a day for several weeks. Chris is sitting in the corner saying, no, I told you. So you got to have the right bone structure first. Um, otherwise, again, the, uh, I epitomize several times. I don't learn. I'm a degenerate gambler. The amplify suck comment, I think, was meant for me. So, Ed, when you think about some of the, Chris talks about deep truths and and no sales ambush call right? No one's going to reveal a deep truth and a sales ambush call. So stop trying to make it something that it wasn't designed to be. All right. The Tesla is not designed to be a doorstop and a and an intro cold outreach call is not designed to be a deep truth discovery call. So stop trying to make it what it is. But when you look at your practice, the years of experience that you had, the companies that you advised and guided, what are some of the controversial truths that are maybe a little bit countercultural, that you present to your clients, to your VPs of sales, to your sales managers, that you advise. That at first they're a little bit like, "Hey, burn the witch," right? Or they're, "We can't do that here," or "We've tried that." Do you have a few of them that come to mind? i
3: saying in Columbus we barbecue the witch. By the way, we don't try. <laughs> yes, <that. 'Cause, laughs> right. I mean, we're good. We're good. We, barbe- in the, we barbecue the witch.
1: Yeah, right. it's called Impossible Absolutely. Witch. They also have Impossible Witch. <laughs> impossible, which is great, yeah, Kiss right.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Tastes just like yeah, witch. But there, there's
2: certainly a few. I think a lot of the deer in the headlights reactions are when I start talking about cold outreach, and and it's more about well, we try to you. Know, we try to warm it up a little bit. We try to make somebody not completely cold, and then we start having the conversation about well, even if somebody knows who your company is. They don't know who you are, and they certainly aren't ready to have a conversation with you at the time that you want to have a conversation. And And let's not just look at this on the phone. Let's look at the same thing in email. I may know, obviously, I know Nike as a brand. If I get an email from Nike, is that going to, because I know the brand, is that going to make me more likely or less likely to read the email? There's a couple schools of thought there. One is, uh, it's just another newsletter. I'm just done with this stuff and delete. So I see something from Nike, delete. So that's one school of thought. The other school of thought is, yeah, it's, of course it's Nike. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna listen. So there's still that unpredictability. But at some point you're relying, you're resting your laurels on, let's build a brand, and then once our brand is known, we're gonna have a lot easier time having conversations. And that just doesn't happen. And it's a it's a fallacy. And a lot of people that when I start talking about that is less about your brand and more about that interaction. Then my follow-up question is, do you know how many calls it takes to get a conversation right now? I don't care where the source of the lead comes from. I don't care if it's responding to a some kind of contact me. I don't care what it is, but do you know what the rough ratio is? And it's shocking that most don't. And it's and it's like, okay, well, let's start looking and let's see how much activity is happening in order to...
1: And you're talking about their math of sales. A lot of Yes. Sales leaderships today aren't sure of their top of funnel ratios for their math of sales. That's
2: right. Yeah, exactly. Making those steps. They probably have a good idea on conversion rates, more than likely of, yeah, opportunities, closed one, we get mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. And maybe there's an understanding of MQLs and SQLs, but even we go into the path of your MQLs probably aren't all treated equally mm-hmm. either. So yes, now we're getting into the real top of funnel of activities to net outcomes of conversations, or we can go email reply rates, but let's stick to the phone. So calls to conversations, conversations to meetings. And what that meeting is, is another, what is that first meeting? So you have a conversation and somebody's booking time on a calendar. What is that? What is that next? Is that a true discovery call or is it not going that deep? Is it an hour long call or is it a 15 minute call? What are you trying to get? And is understanding why do you do it that way? If you're trying to call somebody cold and book time on a calendar for an hour discovery call, why are you like, how did you pick that as the time limit? And those are the things when we start getting into a lot more questions that, that are being raised. When then I go back to kind of proving my point of we need to architect the cold outreach so that you're highly optimized on the front end. And that's going to involve a certain amount of outbound activity. Most importantly in this is you're going to have to know what to say. And then mm-hmm. in that know what to say is what's your next step and how do you understand that hill and then come right back down and however sharp it is great, but you've got to be able to do that. And when we start getting into this philosophical discussion about what your sales team say when somebody picks up the phone, what's their opening and some people know Sandler and some people go with the pattern interrupt and, and that's fine. At least you have something. Others are just like, well, we're trying to get the decision maker. And then we're trying to ask them who they're using for their payroll system. Okay. that Hey, it's a way, but let's start getting better there. But when we start talking cold outreach, that becomes a little bit more of the eyebrow raising is we're trying not to do that, or we don't really know the success rate. And I tend to go a little deeper into that arena and then parlay that right into who's making those calls. Is it a full cycle sales rep? You have a dedicated BDR SDR team. How are they comped? And that's, that's a whole other thing that, that we can debate about. Cause I start talking about comp plans and unrelated to closed deals. And sometimes that's, Oh, we would never do that. Why would we comp somebody if a deal doesn't close? Well, who's working on what? And that's where you do you comp marketing when deals close, or do you comp marketing on their NQO rate? And now we get into this whole what's the objective of these particular sales team members? How responsible are they in the whole sales cycle? And if they're not responsible or partaking or owning a certain cycle, then don't rest the laurels on the comp there. So we start getting that into net and then compensation becomes a little bit more of an eyebrow raise. And there's there's actually a lot of discussion out there, which I'm really interested in learning more about. Um, I've got probably a very infant knowledge on uh, no sales commissions being offered and kind of looking at the behaviors that that instill, a, as a result of sales conversations, there's a Deming philosophy on no sales commissions. Um, and then a couple of people I've heard talk about no sales commissions, one being Errol Tokers, founder of Truly. I heard him on a podcast not too long ago that he doesn't believe in sales commissions and it does more harm than good. And, hmm. and I think these are, again, schools of thought. But where I start to think about this is ultimately it says, what are you compensated for? And how are you measuring success? So going to the analogy Chris used about, don't tell me the 70, 80% of the ocean that doesn't work for fishing. Tell me the parts that do work and let me go there. I don't wanna to listen to the bad calls. I don't care about dissecting all of the things that are bad. Again, it is in the spirit of trying to fix it, but let's look at the good ones. Let's figure out what works and then go replicate that. Give me two good ones. That's easy to consume instead of 15 bad ones. I don't want to listen to 15 bad calls, especially if they're hour long discovery calls. I don't want to have to listen to 15 of those. I'd rather listen to two and start marking what works, what's starting to fuel good conversation. So there's a lot of theories there, but that compensation part is how is your sales team aligned. What are they really responsible for? Do they have goals that can be tracked back to even daily goals? And are those goals or inputs what their compensation plan is based off of? Or are they only compensated on the output? So those are two areas when we start talking with clients about understanding our cold outreach, kind of diffusing the whole, if you build it, they will come, and really standing behind. You got to have a good message. You got to understand the time that you're reaching out to somebody and how you're garnering that next step. And then we go into understanding the outputs, but then also building the inputs and how that relates to sales compensation. Those tend to be some things that raise some eyebrows, at least initially, as we start to have conversations and start to work through it. Beyond that, I would say a third thing that we kind of talked about earlier is, and and I just had a client last year that was this way. They were very set on they have a sales problem. Their salespeople need to be better at architecting discovery. And then they their next step in the conversation was a, was a needs analysis. And then they went to a demo and maybe it went into a second or third or fourth demo. So they needed to like lock down this process. And again, it wound up being, when we started to dive into it, is who are the customers you're serving? What problems are they experiencing? How are you able to solve them? Have you figured this out? And then it's like, well, we don't really have that documented somewhere. Well, okay, well let's go document it. So then I went over to customer success and we went to, so again, somebody who had a real finite problem We couldn't solve for that because we didn't get the other layers deeper. So I had to go into customer success and Mm -hmm. spend a lot of time there. And then I had to look at marketing and saying, what is marketing talking about? And then how are we using marketing messaging in the sales process to better architect the first conversation, Mm -hmm. the first meeting, the first discovery call, the first demo? Let's architect these key milestones. And the only way I know how to architect those is if I understand this question journey that I want to be able to take the prospect through to be able to understand, does it even make sense for us to talk now? Or do you have a problem big enough you're even willing to solve? There may be a problem that they have, like I got to figure out, I got employees leaving left and right. I got to figure out how to retain them. Well, what have you done to to change that? Well, nothing. Okay, well, maybe it's not big enough to to want to solve. So maybe I can't help you. So that becomes kind of the third thing is, when clients have the sales problem, and it's it's often not. And it's often you need to go get some information from customer success, take it back to marketing, and then make sure that everybody's singing the same tune. And that's usually a little bit more of a uphill battle when they want me fixated on one thing.
0: and sell welcome to the end of dialing as you know it connect and sells patented technology loads your best sales folks up with eight to ten times more live qualified conversations every day and when we say qualified we're talking about really qualified like knowing what kind of cheese they like on their impossible whopper kind of qualified learn more at connectandsell.com